here, for this is the word of the Lord. Then Job answered and said, Oh, that my vexation were weighed, and all my calamity laid in the balances. For then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words have been rash. For the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray when he has grass? Or the ox low over his fodder? Can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the juice of the mallow? My appetite refuses to touch them. They are as food that is loathsome to me. Oh, that I might have my request, and that God would fulfill my hope, that it would please God to crush me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. This would be my comfort. I would even exult in pain unsparing, for I have not denied the words of the Holy One. What is my strength that I should wait? And what is my end that I should be patient? Is my strength the strength of stones? Or is my flesh bronze? Have I any help in me when resource is driven from me? He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. My brothers are treacherous as a torrent bed, as torrential streams that pass away, which are dark with ice and where the snow hides itself. When they melt, they disappear. When it is hot, they vanish from their place. The caravans turn aside from their course. They go up into the waste and perish. The caravans of Tima look. The travelers of Sheba hope. They are ashamed because they were confident. They come there and are disappointed. For you have now become nothing. You see my calamity and are afraid. Have I said, make me a gift? Or from your wealth, offer a bribe for me? Or deliver me from the adversary's hand? Or redeem me from the hand of the ruthless? Teach me, and I will be silent. Make me understand how I have gone astray. How forceful are upright words. But what does reproof from you reprove? Do you think that you can reprove words when the speech of a despairing man is wind? You would even cast lots over the fatherless and bargain over your friend. But now be pleased to look at me, for I will not lie to your face. Please turn, let no injustice be done. Turn now, my vindication is at stake. Is there any injustice on my tongue? Cannot my palate discern the cause of calamity? Has not a man a hard service on earth, and are not his days like the days of a hired hand? Like a slave who longs for the shadow, and like a hired hand who longs for his wages. So I am allotted months of emptiness, and nights of misery are apportioned to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I rise? But the night is long, and I am full of tossing till the dawn. My flesh is clothed with worms and dirt. My skin hardens, then breaks out afresh. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to their end without hope. Remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never again see good. The eye of him who sees me will behold me no more. While your eyes are on me, I shall be gone. As the cloud fades and vanishes, 
So he who goes down to Sheol does not come up. He returns no more to his house, nor does his place know him anymore. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or a sea monster that you set a guard over me? When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint. Then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions. So that I would choose strangling in death rather than my bones. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Leave me alone for my days are a breath. What is man that you make so much of him and that you set your heart on him? Visit him every morning and test him every moment. How long will you not look away from me nor leave me alone till I swallow my spit? If I sin, what do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? Why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I shall lie in the earth. You will seek me, but I shall not be. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What we have before us is the first of eight speeches Job would deliver in response to the eight speeches of his wise friends. Eliphaz was the first to speak up to question Job's desperate lament and accuse him of sin. He suggested that if Job was innocent, then all would be okay. But if he sinned, that would explain his suffering. So as we make our way through the series of speeches from Job, two things will become clear. Eliphaz and his friends will sound confident, knowledgeable, and precise, yet they will be wrong. While on the other hand, Job sounds like a deeply depressed man, hopeless, longing for death, But he will be right when it comes to his friends and sometimes wrong when it comes to God. Yet he will be proven to be a true worshiper of God. In our text this morning, Job cries out as a man forsaken by God. And part of it stems from a misunderstanding about not only his Situation, but also about God and how God works in the lives of his children. Oftentimes, God uses exterior challenges and suffering to help reveal the interior character of his children. We suffer on the outside to reveal the true worshiper on the inside. Now, this doesn't mean we never fall. But we never fall away. Think of Job's situation so far. He was stripped of everything. No status in society. No job. No family. No hope. He was like a hopeless, homeless man who is despised and rejected. Sitting on a trash heap. Plagued with a skin disease. Scratching away all alone outside the city walls. By mere appearances, he is a man who is cursed. A man who is not in God's 
favor. But is that a true assessment? Do we only judge by what we see? Because who else does this sound like? Jesus, the Son of God, was also treated as a homeless man with nowhere to lay his head, no status in society, despised and rejected, stripped naked of everything. His skin was scourged beyond human semblance. He was all alone and nailed to a cross outside the city walls of Jerusalem, considered a curse as he hung on a tree. Yet he never cursed God. Also, think of how, by all appearances, it may seem as if the church is in a cursed state today. But are we? Or is it a test? Because the question has been, will Job curse God to his face and die? This has been a test. So this ought to be a reminder that it is not an easy road for the Christian, whether we battle physically, emotionally, psychologically, socially, or spiritually. We will be tested in some form, and oftentimes suffering and loss is the fire that purifies and burns the dross, that is, the waste from the outer man to reveal the inner man. As we consider Job's situation, his suffering physically, emotionally, psychologically, socially, and spiritually, these will all be used to reveal a precious pearl within him. And also to remind us of one who went through the same sort of suffering, yet he was without sin. What we hear in this text is a man who has come to his Wit's end. He is in a place of desperation. So let us now listen carefully to Job's first speech in response to Eliphaz. He responds to his friends in chapter 6, and then he turns his attention to God in chapter 7. And he responds by answering the questions Where is my help? Where is my comfort? And where is my hope? He is a man stripped. Of everything, and he sees no help, for he is under the wrath of God. There is no comfort in religion, no hope in his own life. Therefore, he says, Leave me alone. So, first, where is his help? Job turns and addresses not only Eliphaz, but all three friends, because Eliphaz spoke for them all. And he justifies his vexation, that is, his impatience, his frustration, which Eliphaz claimed would kill him if he was the fool back in chapter 5. But the real fools were in his presence, all the while they thought they understood the way this world worked. They believed that only the righteous prosper and the wicked suffer. There is much missing in their theological wisdom. For them, there is no place for the righteous to suffer, nor redemption in suffering. So Job justifies his vexation and oh that it was weighed, and all his calamity laid in the balances. If only it was all placed on the scales of life, is this what his righteousness deserved? Losing his family, 
losing his home, losing his livelihood, and losing his health. For then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore, he says, my words have been rash. Which means his tongue has been uncontrolled because of the weight of his misery. If they only understood what he was going through, they would see that his vexation was not revealing a fool, but a man under deep affliction and torment of soul. They couldn't sympathize with him. Instead, they stood over him with self-righteous assumptions. But why was he so afflicted? Some would automatically assume that it was because he lost everything. That maybe he was following God for the perks. And that all his stuff had become idols to him. And so he just wanted all of his stuff back. But as we will see... This begins the revealing of Job's true character. Because the real reason why he was so afflicted and tormented was because he felt as if he was under the wrath of God. That losing everything was a sign that God no longer favored him. Even though this is a misunderstanding of how God works, there is still hope for Job. Because his mind and heart was still concerned with God. He loved God. Back in chapter 3, he didn't reveal the reason why he lamented his own life. Now he says the reason why his lament is just is because the arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. See, David felt the same way. When he said in Psalm 38, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath, for your arrows have sunk into me, and your hand has come down on me. Now, this could be a response to what Eliphaz said about how man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward, back in chapter 5. The word for sparks is a compound. Hebrew word that translates the sons of Reshef. Uh, Reshef was a Canaanite god, the god of destruction, and he was believed to be an archer, shooting his arrows upward from the underworld. But Job is saying that the arrows are coming down on him from God's throne, and that is unbearable. Now listen to his illustration further justifying his lament and rejecting Eliphaz's words. He says, Does the wild donkey bray, that is to make a loud noise or scream when he has grass? Or the ox low, that is to make a deep grumbling sound of despair over his fodder, that is his hay? Because animals only make a noise of desperation when they are hungry, not when they have food. He is saying to them, if it was all good, you wouldn't hear a word from me, and I wouldn't complain. But you see, the food you're trying to serve me, I cannot accept. Can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt? Eliphaz's words of encouragement wasn't too salty. 
Remember what Paul says. Let your speech always be gracious. Seasoned with salt. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Then Job says. Or is there any taste in the juice of the mallow? We're we're not sure what the juice of the mallow is. Some think that it might be a slimy cheese substance. So imagine slimy cheese juice. Not too appetizing, is it? See, words are often referred to as food for the soul. And Job was looking for words of comfort for his food, but the food that his friends gave him to eat was inedible. If it was edible, he would not lament. So he says, my appetite refuses to touch them. They are as food that is loathsome to me. He refuses to consume what they had given him. Eliphaz's words were unhelpful. His words are doing the opposite of what he meant them to do. Listen to Psalm 69 by David. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. I looked for pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. They gave me poison for food. And for my thirst, they gave me sour wine to drink. This ought to remind us of the literal fulfillment of this text as Jesus hung on the cross. They offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. So now he continues to lament, pleading that God would grant his original request in chapter 3 and fulfill his hope to die. That it would please God to crush him. That he would let loose his hand and cut him off. While Eliphaz will try to encourage Job. Is not the integrity of your ways your hope? Job says, nope. My only hope is to die. His hope was that God would crush him. But does he? No, he doesn't. But this language does foreshadow the crushing of the suffering servant as he will be crushed for our iniquities. And again, Job gives his reasoning. Why does he want to die? Well, he was afraid that he will eventually curse God before he dies. He says that death would be my comfort. I would even exult in pain unsparing, for I have not denied the Holy One. He was afraid that he was going to eventually break under pressure and curse God. So you see, his heart is being revealed to us as he lives for God and for his glory. He is not what they accused him to be. He would rather die than curse God. He is a man of spiritual integrity. But so long as he is under God's wrath, he has no help. He has nowhere to turn and no way of escape. He is weak physically, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. In other words, he is poor in spirit, as Jesus would later describe his followers. And he wonders if he is equipped to continue to be faithful to God. As a believer, you sense this more than anyone else. You know that there is no escape from God's wrath. 
And as you look into yourself and search for the strength and the spiritual resources to be faithful, we know we are hopeless and helpless without God. That is why the gospel of Jesus Christ does not point you inward to yourself, but outward to God and what God has done in Christ Jesus. So he asks, what is my strength that I should wait? And what is my end that I should be patient? Is my strength the strength of stones? Or is my flesh bronze? Am I invincible? Eliphaz should have said, no, Job. We are all vessels of clay. Have I any help in me when resource is driven from me? He is empty and desperate like all of us. If only Eliphaz would have reminded Job that God is our strength and refuge, a very present help in trouble. So he sensed he has no help under the wrath of God. Secondly, there is no comfort in religion. And I'm not talking about supernatural religion. I'm not speaking about the Christian religion. I'm speaking about human, man-made, invented religion. He continues his defensive strike against his friends as they have been nothing but a disappointment to him. So he reminds them of their responsibility to him as friends. Friendship in the ancient world involved much more than it does now. We're not talking about surface level superficial friendship. Friendship required covenant loyalty, sympathy, and love reflecting God's covenant loyalty to his people. But they showed none. He said, he who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty. Think of it. If God was kind to you in his saving grace, don't you think you should be kind to one another? Remember how Paul described love to the Corinthians, that love is patient and kind, does not boast, it is not arrogant or rude, it does not insist on its own way, it is not irritable or resentful. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This does not describe his friends so far. Instead, Job gives us a different illustration. He describes that his brothers are as treacherous as a torrent bed, that is, a pool of water, most likely in the valley of a desert as the result of fast-flowing streams. Uh, These streams come from the melted snow that were on the peaks of the mountains during the winter, and the streams of water make their way down to the desert valley, and they form a pool of icy water. But when the summer comes... The pool dries up and it vanishes. It is gone. It just passes away. Now just imagine you're in a caravan of travelers uh, coming from the west. Here he says from Tima and Sheba. That is uh, the region of East Africa. And you notice that you have run out of water in the desert heat. So in order to avoid dehydration and death, you look for water. And you know about this desert valley and how the icy water flows there. And so you turn from your course, you look with hope, but then you are ashamed because you were confident that there would be water there. 
But when you get there, you're disappointed because it was all dried up and you're left to die. Job is saying that their words of comfort were to be like refreshing water to a desert caravan of travelers who were on the brink of dehydration. Job was confident that they would help him by giving him water, but instead he found them dried up. No words of comfort. He says, for you have now become nothing. You see my calamity and are afraid. Why were they afraid? He reveals that their philosophizing was an escape mechanism. They wanted to escape the reality that the righteous do suffer in this world. So they falsely conclude he must not be righteous to ease their own worries and anxieties. Have we ever thought this way? That would never happen to me because I'm a child of God. I would never lament the way Job does here because I'm righteous. The righteous never mourn. They use their false theology to theorize that what happened to Job would never happen to them because God was on their side. How many Christians today think this way? Now, Job never asked them for any favors. He never asked them to make him a gift or from their wealth offer a bribe for him. He never asked them to deliver him from his enemies or redeem him from the hand of the ruthless. All Job expected from his loyal friends was a little love and sympathy. Water in a dry desert of suffering. As believers, we know where to go or where to direct others for water to quench our thirst in a dry desert of suffering. Our best friend, our Lord Jesus, is the one who spoke words of life and offers the waters of life without price and calls all who are thirsty to come and drink. And it is this gospel word that we contrast with Eliphaz's words of mere religion. And this is where he goes next. Because he doesn't understand what he has done wrong for them to treat him this way. He says, teach me and I will be silent. Make me understand how I have gone astray. How forceful are upright words. You sound so righteous when you declare it. But what does reproof from you reprove? Why? Because he is innocent. Job asks, tell me how I am guilty. I'll accept your words if you can show me that I am guilty and that I am suffering because of my sin. Their words don't reprove anything. Instead, like the legalists they were, they were imposing on him simple religious solutions to his pain. They were like the Pharisees of Jesus' day. And their encouragement came from human wisdom and human religion. Human religion says, do this and you'll be happy. All your problems will go away. While God says, come to me, eat, drink, and rest, no matter your circumstances. Instead, they were trying to rebuke a desperate man, and according to them, 
His speech was but wind. They accused him of being an insignificant windbag when they were the windbags. So he called them heartless and said that they would even cast lots over the fatherless and bargain over their friend. Think of the state of Christianity today, even in some very conservative circles. This is how some reason. But insisting on his own truthfulness, Job says, Now be pleased to look at me, for I will not lie to your face. Please turn. That is another word for repent. Let no injustice be done. Repent now. My vindication is at stake. Is there any injustice on my tongue? Cannot my palate, the part of the mouth that tastes and discerns food, discern the cause of calamity? They thought they had all the answers to what Job already knew. And the so-called encouragement they offered him just made his calamity worse. So thirdly, he laments to God, asking him, what is the point of my life? There is no hope. Now he understands that life is hard, and by the sweat of his face shall man eat his bread. So he asks, has not man a hard service on earth? Isn't life not hard enough? And are not his days like the days of a hired hand who looks for his wages? He is saying that man's life is made up of hard work and waiting for his payday. Like a slave who longs for the shadow. This is a slave who has labored outdoors all day. Who longs for the shadow of the cool evening. When the sun is not beating on his skin. So that he might find rest. In the same way Job longs to rest. But in the shadow of death. Why? Because he is living his life in misery. There is no point. And so he says, I am allotted months of emptiness and nights of misery are apportioned to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise? But the night is long and I am full of tossing till the dawn. He longs to sleep all day and longs to wake up all night. He finds no rest. Also, his life is made up of physical suffering as well. Sitting on a trash heap, he says... My flesh is clothed with worms and dirt. My skin hardens. It heals. Then breaks out afresh. It is constant suffering. Then listen to this paradox. Because his nights are long. But his days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Uh, A weaver's shuttle is an old fashioned tool. To weave yarn. And the shuttle carries the thread of the weft yarn. There is weft And warp yarn. I learned something by reading Job. One goes vertically. The other goes horizontally. And the shuttle which carries the weft. Is thrown back and forth. Through the shed. Which looks like a a frame. That opens and closes rapidly. And as the shuttle is thrown back and forth. It is weaving the weft. Into the warp. So he is saying that his life is just passing him by so quickly he can't even see what it is producing. He has no achievements and all that he was given is gone. He has nothing to look forward to and there is no hope. He says, remember, as if God needs to be reminded. 
that my life is like a breath, my eye will never again see good. The eye of him, he is speaking about God here, who sees me will behold me no more. While your eyes, that is God's eyes, are on me, I shall be gone. He is not saying that God does not see all things, but that Job himself is a temporary being. And he will soon be gone, and the Lord will not have to deal with him anymore. Now, is that true? If God is in a covenant relationship, will he just forget his promises? Does this faithfully describe God's character? Well, no. He continues by saying, His life is like a cloud that fades and vanishes. If you ever look up at the clouds and notice how sometimes they take the shape of something. Um, Oh, I can see a dinosaur in that one. Or I can see an angel. Or, oh, wait, it's gone. He is like one who goes down to Sheol, that is the grave, and he doesn't come back up. He doesn't return to his house, to his family, to his labors, nor does his place know him anymore. All that he once considered a significant part of his life is now gone and means nothing. There is no point in life, no hope, and he believes he is insignificant to God because of his suffering. But the truth is, as we see in this text, there is hope. Because he turns his attention to God by faith in our fourth point. The fact that he turns to God and laments to him is a sure sign of hope. It is a sign of hope for anyone because though there is no answer right away, God is listening to the cries of his people. He is listening to his people's lament. But the problem is Job is seeking to justify himself and not God. And this is a glimpse into Job's challenge to God that comes later on. But for now, he reasons that since there is no help, no comfort, no hope, and that God has completely forsaken him, he will not restrain his mouth. He must speak up, and his friends will not silence him. He says, I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea, which is the abode of evil spirits, or a sea monster? He is asking, am I the evil creature, Leviathan, the devil himself? That you set a guard over me? When I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions, so that I would choose strangling and death rather than my bones. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Notice he is under a lot of pressure and it is unbearable. He is saying that God is like big brother. And he is constantly working against him. He will not survive this. Now again, we know this is a big misunderstanding on his part. And instead of asking God to be with him, this leads him to finally say, Leave me alone, for my days are a breath. I am insignificant. Why do I get so much attention from you? What is man? Where have we heard that before? Psalm 8. David asks, What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? But Job flips it and says, What is man that you make so much of him 
and that you set your heart on him. Visit him every morning and test him every moment. He is asking, what is man that you continually to torture me? Just look away. He says sarcastically, I just want some time to swallow my spit before you send another arrow towards me. He is saying, I suffer under God's wrath because I am significant. So if I am insignificant, then why does God continue to pay so much attention to me? Now, this is just depressing. Because God's eye on his people is usually regarded as a source of hope. Psalm 33 says this, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death. But here, Job says that God only watches over him to find fault and to punish him. But is that what God does to his people? Is that what he is doing with Job? So now, Job addresses sin in light of his insignificance. He asks, hypothetically, since man is insignificant, then why do you pay attention to sin? If I sin, what do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? If you couldn't tell, Job hasn't been all too respectful to God. And now he is using the fact that since God is beyond and above all creation, why does he care what humans do? But the fact of the matter is that we were created in God's image to reflect God in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And God's holiness and his complete otherness magnifies both the seriousness of sin and the importance of human actions. Because God brings meaning to the human experience and to life. The reason why we wake up in the morning and continue to live and to cultivate and to produce is because God is God. And he created us this way to reflect him. Now before we condemn Job, we must remember that he does say all this as a penitent sinner. He believes in the sacrificial atonement for sin. We read this back in chapter 1 verse 5. And he believes in a forgiving God. He believes in the truth that will eventually be fully revealed in Jesus Christ. So he asks, why do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? And all this suffering will end. For now I shall lie in the earth. You will seek me, but I shall not be, because I will be dead, basically. So what can we learn from Job's response to Eliphaz? First, there is no help, hope, nor comfort in human and formal religion. There is no help, hope, nor comfort in man-made religion. The belief in formal legalistic religion led Job to believe that he was under the wrath of God when he was not. That is all that legalism can do. That is what legalism does to all of us. We feel it. Eliphaz's speech was very religious, but it only helped in bringing Job deeper into despair. The religions of the world cannot comfort with all of their advice. And we know that's manifold. 
Sermons with a list of steps on how to bring comfort to yourself out of your own strength and out of your own means are no use. Because the help, hope, and comfort we need is supernatural. Let us remember that as we approach the Lord's Supper today. We must remember that the Lord's Supper is not just a ritual or a man-made thing that we do every so often. It is supernatural. It is God-ordained, ordained by Jesus Christ Himself for our help, hope, and comfort. It is not just a physical act, but it's also a divine and supernatural act. God takes the initiative in the Lord's Supper by the Holy Spirit. So what we need is something supernatural. It is something out of our control. All of our help, hope, and comfort is found only in God Himself. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And this God does not forget his promises to his people. In Christ, he does not forget you. Because that would be inconsistent with his character. Secondly, applying the truth of God is not as simple and fast as Eliphaz's simple solutions. When we listen or believe in simple and fast solutions, there is always the danger of misunderstanding the character of God. From this point on, Job will continue to learn that his friend's understanding of God and his ways aren't true. And as we grow as Christians, we learn that what many believe about God isn't true. And that there are many paradoxes in the Christian life and in the scriptures. There is no simple and fast application of God's word to the more difficult questions and situations in life. Consider how we are called to the rejoice in our sufferings. Who in their natural mind would rejoice in suffering? That is why it must be supernatural. Consider the paradox that we are considered as the scum of the world, while at the same time we are seated with Christ right now in the heavenly places as royalty. Also, we are already righteous, holy, perfect, and blameless in Christ. But at the same time, in this body of death, we are sinners. And there is still a lot of work to be done in us. Just like there was a lot of work to be done in Job. Thirdly, words are powerful. They can either help build up, or destroy. I'm not talking about the word of faith movement that teaches if you say positive things long enough, repetitively, you can manifest whatever you want into existence. That is not biblical. That is pagan and demonic. But rather, when we counsel others who are in despair, we are to keep our words salted with the gospel truth and the promises of God for all those who repent and believe. As Paul told the elders in Ephesus, that the word of God's grace is able to build up. 
Fourthly, there is pain and suffering when we take up and walk with our cross on our way to glory. And it is as we carry the cross, our true character is being revealed. So we should learn from Job's lament, or better, from Christ's lament, as he hung on the cross and he cried out to his Father. Christ suffered physically, emotionally, psychologically, socially, and spiritually, all like Job, yet without sin. And unlike Job, he actually took on and felt the wrath of God for us. So our suffering must be viewed in the light of the suffering of Christ because we are united to him, but not only that, he is our only way of escape. Paul would speak of his suffering as filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions, meaning all that Christ would have experienced in this fallen world falls on the church as preparation for what is to come at the revelation of the sons of God, the revealing of who we truly are. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Amen.